from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. The first shipment of Ukrainian grain sets sail. Is this the first of many more to come? It's a story that's ongoing with maybe more bullishness now centered towards 2023. Drought takes a deep toll on Texas producers. If we, if we have to get rid of the, the all of them, it's, it's uh, painful. The tough decisions now many are being forced to make. A farm family opening up their home and hearts to help others heal. And so our goal when kids come here is that one, they can have that peace and that sanctuary on the farm to explore and to heal. How their inspiring journey from fostering to adoption has been filled with grit and grace. And in John's world, the DEF non-shortage. Now for the news. After months of war and weeks of negotiations, the first ship carrying Ukrainian grain is on its way to Lebanon. Here it is. The ship is called Rizzoni, flagged in Sierra Leone as it's leaving the port of Odessa. The vessel carrying 26,000 tons of corn sailed a predetermined mine-free corridor to Turkey where it was searched and passed inspection this week. It was cleared by a delegation consisting of representatives of Turkey, Russian Federation, Ukraine and the UN. It's reported there are 17 vessels loaded and awaiting permission to leave Ukraine. It's part of an agreement that Russia and Ukraine signed with Turkey and the UN last month. Well, China has blocked imports of citrus, fish and other foods from Taiwan. It's in retaliation for a visit to Taiwan this week by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a trip that was closely watched. Pelosi leaving Taiwan on Wednesday and traveling to South Korea, ending a high stakes visit that Beijing had warned will have a severe impact on U.S.-China relations. Her visit marks the first by a setting U.S. speaker to Taiwan in 25 years. She met with Taiwan's president and visited the legislature, telling reporters that, quote, America stands with Taiwan, end quote. Well, corn harvest is underway in portions of the South. And if that sounds early to you, you're right. In some cases, harvest is running about three weeks early. Brayden McKinnis is sharing these pictures of how harvest is going for him right now. His farm is actually southeast of Dallas. At the time he took these photos, he tells us it was 110 degrees. Yields are about average at about 115 bushels per acre. Well, we did see some rain, but unfortunately in the south, that's generally too late for this corn crop because everything happens earlier there. We've already gone through reproduction. We're well into grain fill. So for Texas, we actually saw a declining condition. That is the nation leading 50% of the corn crop rated very poor to poor in the Lone Star State. Not too far behind is North Carolina at 42% and Tennessee at 38%. And there was plenty of rain last week in North Carolina and Tennessee, but again, that rain coming too late for corn. And corn harvest is also underway in the South Delta of Mississippi. Eric Larson at the Mississippi State University Extension taking this picture. Drought conditions not as severe in the state with 29% of the state abnormally or moderately dry. Some farmers are seeing the impacts of that dryness. 
And farmer sentiment bounced back in July, according to the latest Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. The latest reading climbing six points month over month to a reading of 103. Researchers say the increase was driven by improved outlooks for both current and future expectations. Now, farmers still consider it a bad time to invest in capital improvements. When asked, 44% say increases in prices for farm machinery and new construction is the reason to keep money in their pocket. If you look at the barometer, the current condition index, and the future expectation index, they're all down nearly 25% compared to this time last year. U.S. farmers remain concerned about a wide variety of issues, but especially higher input costs. Now, 55% of farmers surveyed say they now plan to purchase less machinery in the upcoming year. And big news in the ag equipment's auction business. Big Iron Auctions has acquired Sullivan Auctioneers, merging the two companies as two of the largest online auction companies in the industry. The business will now go to Big Iron Company and be headquartered in Hamilton, Illinois. The companies say the deal will bring roughly 300 employees together. There were some heavy rains across the country this week, but many still dealing with a drought. We'll have the latest check of your August forecast with Matt Yersavik next. Now for a check of weather with meteorologist Matt Yurasavik. Matt, we saw the heat this week like you expected, but August also brought some unexpected showers in places across the Midwest. Well, we continue to hear from many across the South and the Southwest who are still in desperate need of rain. Yeah, Ty, and, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've had much needed rains in the West. Still going to be looking at some of that monsoon rain going on as we head over the next week, and we're going to see some more improvements here on our drought monitor. But this week, those improvements really were across the Great Lakes and upper Midwest. Still have some work to do there. Same thing through the middle of the country. They're going to see more rain this week. And then again, I mentioned that we've got more of the rain on the way for the West, especially parts of Utah and Nevada that are going to see some more of that rain. But a lot of improvements going on Colorado down to New Mexico and Arizona where we're slowly starting to erode those drought conditions away still starting to get abnormally dry in the east with a lack of rain over the last week that's going to change this week as well root zone you're seeing much of the same more moisture here popping up in parts of the southwest even through parts of Kansas and Oklahoma and then very wet still even with those drought conditions kind of ongoing here parts of Arkansas Tennessee still very damp soil just behind below the average there for the rainfall and then turning abnormally dry for the northeast and much of the east coast. Jet stream as we head through this week, still going to be well to the north, but you're going to see something a little bit different. Ridge building back in the west, that's going to keep it hot in the west and also allow those showers and thunderstorms to keep on building during the afternoons. But what you're going to notice here is a nice little dip in the jet stream, Great Lakes down into uh, really the mid-Atlantic and northeast as we head through the middle of the week. That's going to give a little bit of a break from the heat and humidity, but don't worry, ridge building right back through the middle of the country heading into next weekend. That's going to bring back the heat, the humidity right through the middle of the country, but also keep it a little bit more active both in the southwest and across the east. 
staying hot in the central central part of the country, still dealing with showers and thunderstorms in the southwest as we head through Monday and another system dropping out of the upper Midwest on Monday. That's going to bring some showers and storms to parts of the Great Lakes and interior portions of New England. And then we've got some of those isolated and scattered afternoon showers and storms across the Gulf Coast. Much of the same for the Gulf Coast on Wednesday. As that front drops a little bit farther, shower and thunderstorm activity here moving right through the Mid-South and up into the Mid-Atlantic states. Still dealing with the monsoon activity there every afternoon in the west and that's going to continue even into Friday. Maybe a few lighter showers and storms there, but expanding just a little bit, even including California and Nevada. Still hot and dry through the middle of the country to end the week. More scattered shower and thunderstorms along the southern coast and then another storm system exiting through the north and east. Temperatures this week still going to be much above average right through the northern portion of the country. Below average though where we're dealing with all those monsoons. And then here's the rainfall above average in the west where we need it as well as in the east and parts of the mid-south still dealing with that. And we're going to see more of this continue kind of in this pattern over the next couple of weeks and we'll continue to track that right here. Time back to you. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Well, was it more than just that weather forecast that changed the tone of the markets this week? Dan Bossy and Peter Meyer join us next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Enzone from Farm Shop MFG, which allows you to rehydrate your soybeans from 10 to 13 percent. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's an extra semi-load added to your bottom line. Order your Enzone fan by August 15th and receive 13 percent off. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. Well, another wild week in the markets. I mean, Dan, last week, you know, we saw prices run up quickly when it comes to old crop and new crop soybeans. This week, a different story. Is it all because the weather changed or is there something else? Well, Ty, it's a little bit of everything. Uh, we did see soybeans last week have their one biggest one-week rally that we can find in history, about $2.10 a bushel. They have now set back this week. Of course, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan was something that gave indigestion to traders. And then we did have a little more rain around, particularly in the eastern Corn Belt than what's expected. But I think combining it all, we still need a fair amount of rain in the western Corn Belt. If that doesn't fall, the market will be back on again. But it's the weather market combined with the geopolitics that really gave us a setback. Yeah, and Peter, when you look at some of these rains, some of those unexpected, including some key production areas like central Illinois, does that set the stage now for the soybean production to possibly grow? Well, I think, it, I think it's very interesting that uh, when you look at some of these farmer surveys, whether it be from, from FC Stone or Stonex and, or, or us here, now that we've acquired IHS market, the farmers have a very, very high opinion of both their corn yields and their, and their soybean yields. Uh, personally, I think that the problem is going to be out west. I think everything more or less to the east of Des Moines is going to be okay. But Western Iowa is going to tell the story. Nebraska is obviously a big problem. And, uh, you know, the North Dakota farmers also seem to have a high opinion of their crops, but they planted them on June 1st. So I would say that it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting few weeks. I, I, I just I, I agree that the West is probably the probably the spot that's going to need the most moisture. Plus, we're cutting our harvested acres by at least a half a million going into the August WASDE just because of what's happened in Texas, Oklahoma and Kansas. Yeah, and we, you know, got a snapshot last week of just how dry it is in some of those parts, especially Texas. So, Dan, now as we move into the, this WASD, Pete mentioned it, we'll have WASD next week. Do you think that USDA adjusts yield? 
We think they come down slightly, Ty. And I, again, I think it's September when we get ground truth. This is a survey of farmers and their opinions, as Peter mentioned. Uh, I would say that the yields will be down slightly, but it's a September report, which will really give us the measuring stick of where these crops are. And, and uh, let's remember that uh, a week ago, we only had 65% of the U.S. corn crop pollinated. So we're all still in a beauty contest here. Uh, that beauty contest is ongoing, but uh, key to Peter's point is rain over across the Northwest, Midwest, and through the plains. If it doesn't fall in abundance, uh, we think yield numbers will be a, a fair amounts below trend. And we've heard about some of those pollination problems in some of those areas that had heat. Yet, like you talked about, Pete, there's other areas, that, though, that are really setting on possibly a pretty nice crop. So as we go into this WASD report, what's your thoughts on what USDA does with yield and what other parts of the world are you watching when it comes to WASD? I'm 100% with Dan. Um, our farmer survey, the IHS market survey, is just a slight hair below where the USDA was uh, at 177. We're at 176 and a half or one between in that area. Our bean number is going to be a little bit higher. So I really don't think that there's much of a story. And as Dan suggests also, we'll have to wait, you know, until after crop tour, till after the September WASD. The big story, in our opinion, is going to be what the USDA does with the EU corn crop. As everybody knows, the EU has had record heat this summer, and these crops have gone so far backwards, it, it would be, in our estimation, even faster than we did in the U.S. in 2012. For example, the EU had, in July, had the, uh, I'm sorry, the USDA had the EU corn crop at 68 million tons. We think it'd be lucky to make 55, and we could be even further. So for us, what we're going to be watching in the WASI next week is what the heck do they do with the EU corn crop? And you know, and what they do with Ukraine exports as well would be interesting. Yeah, and Dan, I know you have some insights into Ukraine. We saw that unfortunate situation last week where we saw the, uh, you know, one of the largest grain producers and exporters, the head of that company that was actually killed by a Russian attack, but yet we still got some of those grain shipments out this week, Dan. So right now, how much do we know about what's going to pan out with this crop in Ukraine and how much can get exported? We finally got a vessel out. And our condolences to Nublan because of their losses. Uh, again, a very striking uh, Russian attack on someone's bedroom to take out a key founder and a very key uh, man in the, the grain business in Ukraine. That being said, as you look at the Ukrainian exports, you know, they can only ship during the daylight hours. We haven't really, we've got a vessel going in right now that will be loading grain to move out. Uh, but it's going to be a process. And I think the, tangle, the tangles in the process are going to be the key. By that, I'm saying things are not going to work normally. And you'll find some uh, commercials that are not willing to staff because they do not want to put their people in harm's way. So uh, we think uh, USDA's numbers are about right. They could tweak them a little to the upside. But the real problem is this. Ukrainian farmers are getting such low prices for their wheat and corn bids right now. I don't find any of our clients that are looking at planting anything substantial for wheat or winter rapeseed heading into the late August, September timeframe. So to me, it's a story that's ongoing with maybe more bullishness now centered towards 2023 because the Ukrainian farmers just don't have the capital to plant the crop that they, they have ahead. I would just add to Dan's comments, it's one thing to get these boats out. It's quite something else to have them return. All the boats that we're talking about that have left port were sitting there. I mean, for all intents and purposes, some of them could have concrete in them the way that, because that grain was loaded ahead of the incursion. Uh, tongue-in-cheek, I meant, but for us, it's really going to be watching whether these boats come back. Yeah, a really good point. Thank you both. Well, we got a lot more to talk about, including could Brazil 
fill some of that void. We'll talk about that later on U.S. Farm Report. Well, we've been covering the concerns about diesel supplies on this show, but what about a shortage of DEF? Here's John Phipps. Around last May, Facebook posts began circulating regarding an impending shortage of diesel exhaust fluid, DEF, due to various sinister reasons. DEF was required to be sprayed into diesel exhaust to neutralize nitrous oxides and filter particulate matter out. DEF is a mixture of urea and water, so the same factors as natural gas prices that clobbered farmer fertilizer budgets all made, also made DEF occasionally scarcer and much more expensive. The speed with which the economy roared back to life also caught suppliers off guard. Remember the great trucker shortage that promised impending doom and then seems to have faded away? Snopes, the premier online fact checker, disassembled the DEF rumor, and my comments today come largely from that source. The DEF shortage story centered on the largest users of DEF, truckers, in what has become a familiar pattern, sequ sequential supply chain problems are mentioned to present a plausible probability of a crippling DEF shortage uh, about now. Perhaps it is harder to get in places, but our supplier, a huge co-op, not only filled our tank when we called, the salesman had heard nothing about any supply issues. The rumor of rail problems, specifically the Union Pacific and their dispute with the largest truck stop operator, Pilot Flying J, were at the core of this predicted shortage. Supply issues did happen briefly in Australia and Korea, but did not become a persistent problem. While it is often mentioned that we are the largest importer of urea, we manufacture most of what we need at home, and we import only about a quarter of our needs. Unfortunately, truly unimagined supply and production problems have come to pass, thanks to the pandemic and Ukraine war, so users may be applying the same old tactic of getting while the getting is good. This exacerbates any distribution issue, of course. Note our uh, tote is full, for example. An interesting side note is the totes themselves are harder to find, and the days of your supplier providing one free may be over. We upgraded a 14-year-old combine with, and with only one other tractor, new enough to need DEF, decided our usage required something other than messing with plastic barrels. There is currently no widespread shortage of DEF I could find evidence of. It is the price of everything I've been talking about that will be the real heartburn, I think. Thanks, John. When we come back, Machinery Repeat has a look at a pre-death tractor. That's because Tractor Tales is next. Hey folks, welcome back to Tractor Tales. And this week, we're gonna journey to central Missouri to check out an Oliver 1655. Some friends of mine called me and told me about it, and I bought it, or they bought it for me. And I didn't see it until it was hauled in here on a truck. Come from uh, Lee Summit, it was pretty bad shape. Son rebuilt it for me and worked on it. And uh, uh, got it, to, I mean, it run when we got it, got new tires on it, painted. Used it several years, Greg Hay and stuff. With it. Just looked good and sounded good. Not that many around here, all of us. So. They're just 
they're good riding, driving truck to power steering. Easier to set on, easier to get around. Always raked a lot of hay with it. And had a 10-foot brush hog mower on it. And uh, just odd jobs around. So it's good size, good size. It's just kind of a utility, easy to get around tractor on. Everything hooks to it. It'll pull most anything. So. Still to come, the devastating impact the drought is having on one cattle rancher and the entire U.S. cattle supply. Plus later, a farm family who created a farm sanctuary for foster kids that ultimately led one to find their forever home. That touching story still to come in Grit with Grace. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report, trusted, timely tradition. Well, as we showed you last week, the drought is devastating to cotton, but it's also having a devastating impact on cattle. It's the lack of rain combined with the relentless heat in states like Texas, forcing producers to make some tough decisions, as we show you this weekend in our Farm Journal Report. 60, Summers are supposed to be quiet inside the Seguin Cattle Company auction barn in Texas. But manager Brian Linsman says the extreme heat and drought is forcing thousands of cattle ranchers to sell off their herds. What's it been like being in the cattle business this summer? Uh, pretty much a roller coaster ride. I mean, it's been chaotic. It quit raining in October of last year, so I mean, it's just been desperate measures for people. Cattle ranchers usually bring their herds to market in late fall, but the heat and lack of rain is making it financially impossible for many ranchers to keep sustaining the cows. That's why Linsman says almost twice as many farmers as usual are lining up here to sell off portions of their cattle herds. Federal forecasters say this is the second driest year around the Seguin area in the past 128 years. Priscilla McBee and her family have a small family operation of about 20 cattle. You brought two cows two and a calf. And a calf. Uh -huh. Why'd you have to get rid of them? Uh, we're just trying to reduce number, trying to reduce how many we're feeding um, because there's no grass and the hay we have is not going to last us through the winter. She says her farm is running out of grass to keep the herd properly fed. Marty Schwarzkopf has a herd of 70 cattle. He brought one to sell today. He says he also usually sells four to 6,000 bales of hay every year to cattle ranchers. But this year, the ground is so dry, he's only done about 300. And I'll feel for a lot of people. You know, people, they've been doing this for years and years, and now they don't have anything to, to hold on to. You know, they're, they're having to let go. Wade Meyerhofer is a fourth-generation cattle rancher on this land. He says this ranch field should be covered in lush green grass a foot high. Now it's a sea of hard scrabbled brown dust. Do you get emotional thinking about that oh, possibility? Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't want to do it. <laughs> you don't want to sell them. Uh, you, you know, most of these cattle, well, all of these cattle, uh, we raised. Uh, we raised them from babies. If we, if we have to get rid of the, the, all of them, it's, it's uh, painful. This part of Texas usually gets 24 to 48 inches of rain a year. It's received just four inches so far this year. The pond Meyerhofer's cows usually drink from is supposed to be seven feet deep. There's not even a drop of water left in it now. 
Wade Meyerhofer will face tough decisions soon. He sold off 20 cows last week, and if it doesn't rain and cool off soon, he'll be back in the auction barn selling off more of his herd. I will sell them before, before they're uh, skin and bones. Now, Oklahoma State Extension Livestock Specialist Daryl Peel thinks the U.S. could lose another million beef cows this year. Up next, Brazil is dry, but could the country still be positioned to produce a record crop next season? Peter Meyer and Dan Bossi join me next. Registration is open for the 2022 Pro Farmer Crop Tour. Join our team as we gain insight on the 2022 growing season in person or online. Visit profarmercroptour.com forward slash register to select the stop nearest you. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Peter Meyer as well as Dan Bossi joining us again. Peter, when we look at Brazil, there are expectations that we could see a monster crop this winter. We're coming off a much larger than expected safrina crop. Has that changed the global exporting game? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I personally, I think that there's a lot riding on the, on the next Brazilian crop, and, and I would like to see a little bit more recharge of the moisture uh, in the soil before they get planting. I realize it's a few months away, but um, I think there's a, I, I think that there is a, there is a lot riding on it um, just because the U S crop is going to be maybe average. And, and if this weather continues, could be below average. Um, I think China's short uh, grains. Um, I don't necessarily know that they're short oil seeds. They might be a little bit, but um, so overall, I think that there's, there's pressure on Brazil certainly to perform in the upcoming in the upcoming growing season. Dan, I know you were just in Brazil. So when you look at prices there, is it incentivizing producers to really up their acres? And what are you seeing when it comes to export demand for Brazilian crops, specifically corn? You know, I was a little surprised, Ty, and our clients in Brazil, as I visited my Sao Paulo office and we had summits across the country, indicated that they would increase production slightly, maybe two to three percent. It was not the kind of, uh, how should I say it, excitement that I've seen before. Main reason is Brazil's a heavily dependent country on fertilization. Fertilizer prices are through the roof. They're having problems getting chemicals. They said they'll take a little risk here, but you know the bankers are not as aggressive in lending. We've got a Bolsonaro Lula election coming up in October. Lots of anxiety there of where currency and policies and taxes will be going forward. So. There was a, a little bit of an optimism on seedings, but not what I was expecting. Remembering USDA is projecting Brazil will, plant, will, will produce 30 million metric tons more of beans this year than last year. To Peter's point, that is a record. The world needs all of that, but whether or not it happens is a really big deal. But Peter, when we take a look globally, I mean, you look at, at, at uh, Speaker Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, it seems like tensions are going with China, yet we see China come to the U.S. this week uh, with, a, with a buy. Are you concerned about what tensions between the two countries could mean for demand? Absolutely not. I don't, I mean, that's, that's, that's saber rattling 101 in my opinion, but I think we have to be careful. If U.S. politicians now all of a sudden take a victory lap that they stood up to Xi and that China didn't do anything and the Speaker of the House was there, well, then you have a problem. If everybody goes quietly into the night, I don't think there's a problem. I mean, even what did China decide? They weren't going to send fish and, some, and, and poultry to Taiwan, but they were still going to send them chips, microchips. I mean, you know what? I, I, I get it. China was upset that she was there, but I really don't see much, much else. The market reacted to it negatively. 
you know, the stock market reacted to it negatively as well. And now it all has buoyed back, back, back up. So I don't, I don't really see it. I think it's overblown. Dan, when you look at wheat, I mean, we've seen intense pressure on wheat prices. Is it that the crop here in the U.S. was better than expected when you look at winter wheat and then heading into the spring wheat or globally, or are we seeing another country really just outproduced right now? Well, the Russians had a record large crop time and they have been aggressive, but I think it was this corridor expectation along with the Russians having that big harvest that really got the wheat market down and where it is today. I'm not sure the wheat price is justified at these levels. Our modeling would say it needs to be somewhat higher. But again, I think we need to prove now that the corridor does not work to the satisfaction of the UN's three and a half to five million tons a month. Once that starts to happen, we see that the Russians are having trouble because there's no forward market for wheat and the, some of the smaller independents can't get vessels. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a realizing market as we go forward. But we're very, very close, if not forming seasonal lows here today. All right. We appreciate it. We need to take a quick break and then we'll have much more on U.S. Farm Report. Grit with Grace is brought to you by Zoetis. Your dedication runs deep, and it fuels everything Zoetis does. To protect and support cattle and those who care for them, we are Born of the Bond. Learn more at bornofthebond.com. Well, we all know life on the farm or ranch can be busy, and oftentimes you can get caught up in the day-to-day -day demands. Well, despite the craziness of running several businesses and raising three young children, one South Dakota family chose to do something so selfless. They opened up their heart and home to help create a place of healing for foster kids, and ultimately, that led to adoption. Because to the Radke family, there's always room for one more at the dinner table when you live with grit and grace. Their story started in college. We met on the SDSU meat judging team, judging ribeyes. Bonding over beef and cattle, it's only fitting that the cattle business is still their calling today. We sell uh, Bulls Private Treaty to um, area ranchers, um, sell about 35, 40 limousine bulls and some main Andrew bulls. Growing businesses seems to come naturally for the Radkeys, but where they struggled, was trying to start a family. So when we you know, first got married, we actually went through a really hard time of infertility, not being able to start a family. I really struggled with that, you know, just feeling like a failure. Struggling through the emotions of trying to have a child, the Radkeys are now blessed with three. Scarlett was born June 3rd, 2014. Thorne was born June 4th, 2016. And Croy was born May 22nd, 2018. And so we had three kids. Born two years apart exactly, and uh, life was pretty busy. And after their third child was born, Tyler had a calling. He just said, we need to do foster care. Yeah, apparently I didn't think we had enough going on. Yeah. Was, I, I, I honestly don't know what, what I saw that made me think of it. Amanda was on the road constantly giving speeches and doing other travel for her job, all while juggling life with three kids and their growing businesses. I instantly said, no, you're crazy. Uh, I, I don't, I'm drowning right now. That day, Amanda headed to the airport for a work trip and on the plane, her heart was changed. But again, God had a different plan because I got on a plane and the movie on the plane that day was Instant Family, which is a movie about foster care. She left on the work trip thinking Tyler's idea was crazy. He's, he's the steady, even healed member of our relationship. I truly don't think it even would have happened had it not been for 
God giving him that nudge to say, get this ball rolling. So they did. We called the office. We just want information. How do we get involved? And they said, you're in luck. The Mitchell training started last week. You guys can jump in. That was in April. And by August, Amanda was sitting in a coffee shop when an unexpected call came. It was the state and they had two kids and they needed an emergency placement for that weekend. And I said, I don't even have our license. And they said, yes, we just threw it in the mail. She says in the last two years with the pandemic, they've welcomed a dozen children into their home. I just truly believe that there can be a lot of healing done on the farm. Fostering has been far from easy, but as the Radkeys can attest, life often reveals other plans. And in 2020, as the world shut down and so did Amanda's work travel, she was questioning what was next. And a week later, we got a call for a seven month old baby. And I was like, oh, now I see why my schedule's cleared because we have a whole nother adventure to go on. That baby became part of the family. So we had that baby all of 2020 and uh, got to do all of her milestones with her and, and love on her. And on her first birthday, we found out she was leaving. And uh, yeah, it just, my heart broke into a million pieces because that was my baby. The Radkeys knew they'd only have her temporarily, but they were attached and the entire family was crushed. But a few weeks later, another call came. And that that's kind of where Alex came in. Um, he'd been in some foster homes before coming and going and he was now he was available for adoption and that was basically going to be his next home. They sent Amanda a picture of Alex. He had blonde hair and blue eyes, just like her other three children. And I about fell over because I thought he look, I said he looks like our son and she said, yeah, I know. That's why I called you and I said, OK, I need to talk to Tyler. The risks, the what ifs, the unknowns. They'd already experienced it with a dozen children temporarily, but they agreed to meet Alex and be his forever home. Four days later, he had packed up his bags and moved to our house for good. Adoption day came October 5th, 2021, a wild adventure and constant chaos at the farm where Alex seems to fit right in. Within that first year, he knew all the equipment in the field. He he could rattle off, you know, it's tons of farm knowledge and it was just crazy how he soaked it up like a sponge. A four-year-old who has braved more in his little life than many will have to do in their entire lifetime. One night I tucked him into bed very early on and he said, Mama, can I be a can I be a cowboy? And I said, you already are, buddy, because not because he lives on a farm now and we have cows, but because of how brave he is I, to change homes and to trust us. Trust that's not just been with Tyler and Amanda, but also their other three kids. I taught them to be safe on the farm, not to go under the tractor, um, don't go into the pen, especially if there's a crabby mama. Tyler says he may never know what sparked his crazy idea to foster that day a couple years back, but he just knew how lucky his kids were to grow up on a farm. I just wanted to share that with kids that maybe had tougher luck than they did because they deserve the same, the same thing. And so if there's even a calling remotely on your heart to step into this really hard space, don't ignore it because the kids are worth fighting for. The Ratkeys have three goals, provide peace with a place to heal, experience a family full of love, and introduce them to a household strong in faith, a recipe that's filled with grit and grace. 
What a touching story and a way to help others heal. Well, Amanda has actually authored several children's books. Her latest is called C is for Care. It's inspired by kids on the farm and ranch and is dedicated to Alex with a sweet message in the front of the book. You can find all of her books plus ways that you can help support foster families at AmandaRadke.com. We'll also include all of those links with that QR code on your screen. Up next, John Phipps. What's up with my insurance premium? Well, insurance rates are climbing and some fear it could change the ownership on some farms. Here's John Phipps. This is from Steve Turner. Our insurance company, I withheld the name, just raised rates to the point where a lot of small farms and ranches will no longer be able to carry their insurance policy amidst the barrage of current rate climb on all fronts and for all items and on constantly reducing budget and margins. I cannot speak for all the other customers across the nation's farmland, but for us, our policy was increased overnight by $4,500 atop the already high premium. We've had this same policy with no cha changes since uh, 2017. There have been no claims or uh, any issues. The policy is paid once per year from an escrow fund with our mortgage holder, so there is no payment or on-time payment late issues to warrant this type of increase. $4,000 is a death blow to the little guys. Well, this is a good point, Steve, but please send me your address for a mug. Now, after checking with my agent, I'm expecting a 10 to 15% increase, so this price hike is not limited to one company or one area. Industry experts have listed three major factors. First, construction costs. Since most policies uh, promise to rebuild your home or replace your machinery, staggering increases in things like lumber, for example, are being folded back into your premium. Second, this could be one of the, and this could be the biggest one, depending on your location. Climate change is rewriting loss risk calculations for actuaries. When 100-year events like floods and wildfires occur every decade or so, and weather events like hurricanes are much more severe, your location could have a very different weather risk than when you bought your house or farm. Third, the combination of increased risks, costs, and unexpected events like the pandemic have made companies either priced to recover the losses of the last few years or anticipate future risk exposure. Small farm owners are experiencing the same cost squeeze as retirees whose fixed income budgets did not begin to allow for price increases in homeowner insurance. If you want to retire to the coast or near a forest, talk to current residents about what their insurance experiences have been. Finally, I repeat, times of high inflation can instigate price increases with little or no other reason other than all the other kids are doing it and we can get away with it. Thanks so much, John. And we'll make sure to get his commentary on agweb.com, but you can also watch it again on our YouTube page. Well, when we come back, a sale at a fair that will tug at your heartstrings, how the community stepped in next. Well, an amazing and bittersweet moment at the Porter County Indiana Fair 4-H Livestock Auction as a 300-pound reserve grand champion breeding gilt sold for $102,000. Take a look. We have $340 a pound. 
345. Anybody else? Sold it. So why so high? Well, the community wanted to honor a woman and her family who had given so much to the community around Valparaiso, and they are fighting a courageous battle against colon cancer. The woman's name, Ashley Duttlinger. That's her son Hudson walking his guilt around the sale ring. By the time the sale was over, 116 donations had been made and they were treated as a collective buyer at the auction. Ashley's husband, along with their two sons, Hudson and Brooks, and other family members and friends on hand as the sale was made and they paid tribute to Ashley. Thank you for being two of the most wonderful, loving and supportive children in the community. Every time we see the kindness you share, we truly see the spirit of your mom. Ashley passed away just three days after that sale. And the giving has not stopped since the auction night donations have continued to roll in. With the final sale price ending up more than $120,000, a world record for a cross-spread guilt. To learn more about Ashley, her family, and the record sale, make sure to read the story on farmjournalsporkbusiness.com. What an outpouring of support. Well, that does it for U.S. Farm Report this weekend. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to tune in next weekend as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.